Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment and thank you for tuning into our church's podcast. This week's sermon is from our series Alpha and Omega. To learn more information about Sturkey Hills, you can find us at sturkey.church. Oh, and don't forget to hit subscribe to our podcast so that you can always stay up to date with our latest messages. We're so thankful for all that God has been doing in the life of our church and the part that you play in it. Thank you for listening and have a blessed day. be wondering what this video has to do with anything. It's a representation of most of the Christian life around the planet. And most of the Christians in the world, they claim Jesus is their Savior, but they fail miserably at making Jesus their Lord. And I have candid, a bit of candid information for you this morning, just cold, hard, brutal truth. If he's not your Lord... He's not your savior. You see, it's a package. When he comes in to save you, he comes because you have surrendered to him. And so often what we do is we fail to acknowledge and embrace the reality. He's the Lord, man. He died on a cross to save you, therefore determining the reality that he is to be the Lord of your life. And so often what we do is we just kind of wait on the sidelines as Christian human beings waiting for a time when God will just have a burning bush experience with us and tell us what we should do. And quite honestly, that's not our call. Our call is to begin in the moment that we get saved on a journey, a life, of an adventure with God, where he walks side by side, hand in hand, embraced with us in everything we encounter, whether it's good or whether it's bad. And so uh, so this morning, you may be wondering, why does the pastor have a suit on? You've probably never seen me in a suit unless you came to a funeral or a wedding, because that's when I wear a suit. Funerals and weddings, some people think they're very similar, okay? Um, but here's the thing. I'm wearing a suit this morning because we're going to have a little funeral service, Okay. And you say, well, how can you have a funeral service with a smile on your face? Because I know the author of life and death and eternity. And he has, prov- he has provided us with hope, even in the darkest moment, even in the saddest thing we will ever encounter. So let me just lighten it up. I wore a suit. That makes me a little bit old school today, okay? I'm going to start with an old school joke, okay? Because if you're wearing a suit, you need to tell a joke because that's what preachers do. So there was a guy, and he was a, a scoundrel. I mean, he was a rough individual. He was a part of the mob, and uh, he died, and uh, his brother was, was saddened that he had died. And so he came to the preacher, the local church. He said, listen, my brother's died, and I know you know the reputation of my brother. He said, he's a, a liar, and he's a cheat. He cheated on his wife. He cheated on his taxes. He's a murderer. He's a slander. He's one of the worst human beings you would ever meet. But I need you at his funeral to say that he is a saint. And so the preacher thought about it, and he thought, man, I just don't know if I can do it. He said, I don't know if I can do it. His brother said, listen, I'll give a million dollars to the church if you will say he's a saint at the funeral. So the preacher said, I'll do it. His funeral comes, and he's preaching his funeral sermon, and he looks down at the the body of this scoundrel below him, and he said, the man in the casket below me was a scoundrel. He was a cheat. He was an adulterer. He's a liar and a thief. He was a murderer and a slanderer, but compared to his brother, he was a saint. See, there's some old school right there. That is old school for you right there. Now, we're going to talk about something amazing today. The title of the message is this, what are you waiting for? Look at your neighbor and say, what are you waiting for anyway? 
Now, Genesis chapter 50, we are closing this incredible bookend on the left, this incredible uh, book called Genesis. And on September 9th, we're going to launch the Omega side of it, which is the bookend on the right, the book of the Revelation. And I want to encourage you to be a part of that. Uh, it's, 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 It's a great book. You'll be blessed by studying it because it proclaims that in its word. In the word, it says you're blessed by studying it and hearing it. So I want you to be a part of that. But as I was looking back at Genesis, uh, there's, this, there's this reality that kind of set in on me, and that's what we're going to talk about today, to help us be mindful of the question, what are you waiting for? So in Genesis 50, we close out this amazing book. And I said it before, if you get Genesis wrong, you'll struggle with Exodus all the way through Revelation. So if you weren't able to attend and, and learn and glean some of that, I would encourage you to go to our podcast or watch our messages online. So in Genesis chapter 50, beginning in verse 22, this is what we find. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family, and he lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. Also the children of Machir, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. Verse 24, then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So the first point is unbreakable promises. The first point on the back of your worship guide, unbreakable promises. Let me tell you something about God's word. It's full of promises to you as a child of God. Full, chock full from beginning to end. And let me tell you something about the promises of God. They are unbreakable. God cannot go back against his word. God cannot tell a lie. God cannot break a promise he has made to you. Okay? And, and so he, here we find Joseph, and he makes this, uh, this, this proclamation to his brothers, to his older brothers. He says, guys... I'm getting ready to die, but not to worry because God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to a new land that he has promised. Now, the question is this, what can give somebody a positive attitude when it comes to dying? Because I've got sad news. We're all dying of this disease called life. All of us. It's, it's a terminal illness called living. And, and look at your neighbor and say, I hate to tell you, but you're dying. Now look back at your neighbor and say, I don't think you're too far off. It's a reality. It's a reality that we're all dying and the preacher's smiling about it. Listen, we're the only part of God's creation that is aware of dying and we run from it, we fight it, we kick back at it. If you don't believe me, go to the local salon Okay, women and men alike. Okay, we're getting, let me just tell you, I had an awareness. We went to Myrtle Beach a few weeks ago, and I got pulled over, got a traffic citation for changing lanes without turning on my blinker. Now, he gave me a ticket, a $25 ticket. That didn't bother me. What bothered me, I was looking at the ticket, and it, he began to describe me. He, eyes brown. He put six foot two, 225. That's flattering. That's close. But then it said hair color. He put gray. It hurt my feelings. 
I mean, we're getting older. I told somebody, they said, your hair's turning gray. I said, as long as it just don't turn loose, you know, I'm okay, whatever color it turns. But we fight it off, you know. We start losing hair in one place, gaining hair. You look in the mirror when you pass 50 years old, you look in the mirror and you look like granddaddy long legs are climbing out of your ears. You know, that, now, that's not just me. I've seen some of y'all. Y'all need to get a trim, Okay. So what meant, we, we change our hair color, you know, we go to the gym, we buy this, we, do, we try to hide the fact that we're just getting old and we're dying. It is a reality. Now, we ought to be able to at least embrace it with a peaceful, joyous heart. Because the truth is, dying for a believer is the best thing that happens to us. Because we have eternity waiting where there is no sickness, no sorrow, no crying, just peace and joy and, and, and God and Jesus right there for all of eternity, that's waiting for us. And what we do, we pray harder for people to stay than we do to pray to get people to go there. If we prayed as hard for people to find Jesus and to be saved as we do for God to heal people and get them to stay here, we would live in a different world. So it's kind of upside down. And, and I just want to encourage your hearts this morning that even the worst thing that we dread, even the one thing that we hate to discuss or consider more than anything else on the planet, God has made a way. Amen? Amen. Now, here, we were singing that song just a minute ago, and I was thinking about the life of Joseph. Here is a guy who's had a hard life. Here's a guy that as a child, as a boy, his mother died um, while she was giving birth to his little brother, Benjamin. Here's a guy then her, whose dad, because he was born to Rachel, the wife that he really loved, um, he loved Joseph so much he gave him this cool jacket. But because of that, his brothers hated him cast him into the cistern, sold him into slavery, ends up Potiphar's house. She accuses him of sexual perversion, cast him into the prison. He begins to interpret dreams. Now he, his cupbearer forgets all about the dreams uh, that he's able to interpret. And he ends up wasting away with his dream in the prison, separated from his family. But there's not one negative word of counsel against the integrity and the character of Joseph. And so I was thinking about that song, He's a Good, Good Father. And here's Joseph when he's cast into the cistern. He could sing that song because he knew he's a good father and he's perfect in all of his ways. And when he's sold into slavery, he could still sing, he's a good father and he's perfect in all of his ways. And when he's down in the prison, in the dungeon, he could still sing, he's a good, good father and he's perfect in all of his ways. And listen, church, we have to get to a place that no matter what life brings us, we still acknowledge the reality that God is a good, good father. And he is perfect, absolutely perfect in all of his ways. And we may not understand it, and it may not seem perfect to us, and it may hurt us to the core and the fiber of who we are, but we can hold on to this, that God's perfect in all of his ways, and he's a good, good father, and you give him time and he will redeem all of the heartache. He will redeem all of the hurt. He will redeem all of the brokenness. He'll redeem it and make it whole again for his children because that's what he does. Now, here, here we find Joseph and he says, I I'm going to die. And you guys are here in Egypt, but not to worry because he's going to lead you out. Genesis chapter 15 is what he's relying on. He's relying on an oath 
on an unbreakable promise that was given to his ancestors years before. In chapter 15, verse 13 and 14, he says, And he, God, said to Abram, that is the God, the Father, speaking Abraham's name, he says, Know of a surety uh, that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs. And they shall serve them, and they shall afflict them for 400 years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, God says, and afterward shall they come out with great substance. Now, that is what God told Abram. Well, it ain't looking like that right now because they're getting ready to go into some serious slavery under the hand of Pharaoh and Egypt. Because when when the book of Exodus opens up, it says there's a new Pharaoh in town, one that knew not Joseph. And Israel had gotten really plentiful, and they had reproduced, and they outnumbered the Egyptians. So the Egyptians were worried of a takeover or a coup. So what they did is they confined them to slavery. They worked them hard. They began to control their birth, all of that stuff at the hands of of Egypt. Now, Joseph doesn't know that right now, and the brothers who he's speaking to do not know that right now. But Joseph says, Listen, I'm about to die, and the people are going to be in this land, but God will deliver them out. Titus 1 2 says, In hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before ages began. Hebrews 6 18, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we have fled for refuge, might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is before us. Listen, look at your neighbor and say, God cannot lie. Look at your neighbor and say, what he says he will do. And so we have unbreakable promises to hold on to when when death comes into our circle, we can hang on. We can hold our head up, and we can say, God, you're a good father. I trust you with even this. Number two, we have unshakable power at our disposal. We have an unshakable power at work behind the scenes. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 25, it says, And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. Now, Joseph is so confident in God's unshakable power that he tells them, listen, he says, he says God is going to come and aid you, okay, but I need you to do me a favor. Take my bones and put them in the new land. You know, Joseph said, I wouldn't be caught dead in this place. I need y'all to get me out of here and put me in the promised land because God is going to do something. That's when you have confidence in the promises and the unshakable power of God. When you make recommendations to those around you of what to do with you after you're gone because you know God is going to take care of it. You see, God is at work behind the scenes and he's at work fulfilling and unfolding his promises by and through his unshakable power. Now, let me tell you, let me tell you what that means. Okay, for you as a believer today, okay, best I can tell by looking, all y'all are still alive and you're still here, okay? Now, what that means is one day, Jesus said something crazy when he left. He says, I go to be with the Father. I'm gonna go prepare a place for you. And if it were not true, I would have told you so, but I'm gonna come again and get you. 
And then we read First and Second Thessalonians and on over in Revelation, and we read in the Old Testament in the prophecies, we find out that Jesus came once to save, to offer redemption. Jesus is coming again to rule and reign. The Bible says that just like Jesus came the first time, which was prophesied for years before he came, Jesus will come again, okay? The Bible says that Jesus is going to come on a cloud, and the cloud is going to stop in the air, and he is going to catch away, we use the word rapture, his church. The Bible says that the dead in Christ are going to rise first, and those of us that remain will will meet them in the air and be caught up with the Lord. Now, that's kind of cool. I kind of like that. I kind of like the idea of flying, okay? I used to play basketball. I had white man ups, okay? I could dunk a soccer ball. It's about all I got, okay? I can't even get off the ground. Now, three years ago, I ran a 5K, I can't run 50 feet now without hurting. I got a brand new body on order. hadn't shipped yet. One day, though, one day in the twinkling of an eye, everything is going to change. I get excited about that. And so so what we have is is an opportunity to look at life differently, to look at the reality that, that even in dying, there is hope because there is this unshakable power at work behind the scenes. Matthew 19, 26 says this, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Psalm 147, verse four and five points to that reality. It says, he, God, determines the number of the stars and he gives to all of them their names. Great is the Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. That's how great our God is. Now, I as an individual, and I'm trying to lead our church as a a, a church body to, to practice this thing where we realize how big God is and how small we really are. Because we look in the mirror and we look around our circle and we find ourselves bigger and better than somebody else and we get prideful and we puff ourselves up and we say, man, I'm, I'm pretty good, okay? Man, I'm pretty big, I'm pretty powerful. No, we're not, okay? We are a small people on a small rock in a huge galaxy in an amazing cosmos all at the fingertips of a God who has unshakable power. And if he stops uh, 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 giving us life and sustenance, we cease to exist. So it's good to know we have a a big God, and that's how we need to live our lives. The third thing I want you to see is we can, we can consider death, we can consider uh, leaving this earth because we have an unmistakable peace, an unmistakable peace. In 20, verse 26, it says, so Joseph died at the age of 110, and after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Now, this whole scenario, the, the book of Genesis ends with, with this great man of God, a picture of Jesus himself, dying and he's cool with it. He's like, hey brothers, I'm, I'm getting ready to die. And it's a little premature because you're all older than me and you should die first, but it ain't working out that way. So I'm going to die, but it's going to be okay. You know, I mean, he's just, he's very casual. And then the Bible says he died at 110. They embalmed him. He was placed in a coffin in Egypt. 
how can, how can you consider dying with and have a peace about it? Because you understand the author of your life and you understand the author of your eternity. When you understand that, it changes the way you do this whole thing called life. It changes the way you do this thing called dying. It changes your perspective of life itself. You see, you get a peace. The Bible says that passes all understanding. We live in a world that's searching for love and peace, man, and and they do everything possible to, to satisfy or to medicate this desire for peace and love. Some people do it with alcohol. Some people do it with drugs. Some people do it with pornography. Some people do it with relationship. Some people do it with food. Some people do it with materialism. Some people do it with fame and success. The list is long. And the whole time, what we're trying to do is find this peace and this love and satisfy the discontent that's in our soul. And the whole time, Jesus is saying, hey, I got that. I got some love and some peace. I'll bring it right to you. I will lavish you with it. I will dump it on you. I will fill every void in your life. If you'll just let me, I will give you this unmistakable peace. And so Joseph said this in a nutshell, I'm going to die. God's going to deliver you out of slavery. Take me out when you go because I wouldn't be caught dead in this place, and that's exactly what happens. Now, if you know the rest of the story, if you read the book of Exodus, you find out that everything that Joseph said plays out to be true. Joseph said, listen, you're going to be in bondage for all of these years, but God's going to show up. And when you read Exodus, you find out that is exactly what happens. When you, when you read Exodus, you find out that what God told Abram, when he said, and when you leave, you will leave with great uh, substance. You find out that in, at the Exodus, Pharaoh is so mad at God and his people. He says, just get out. Here, take the gold with you. Take the jewelry with you. Take the animals with you. Great substance, just like God had said. So, so why am I wearing a suit then? Because we're kind of having a little funeral today. Now, this, this, is, a, this is an urn. I went to Holly Gamble. I said, you got an urn I can borrow? And they brought me this wooden box, okay? I was kind of expecting, you know, a fancy glass thing with some gold inlay. He brought me this barn wood box, okay? Now, in this box, we're going to say these, are, these would be remains of someone who once walked on this planet. So I was thinking about the book of Genesis, amazing characters in Genesis. It begins with Adam, the first man. That's cool. Eve, his wonderful, beautiful, naked bride. That's cool. Okay, are they perfect? Oh, no, they mess up a lot. Okay, but it's amazing. They're the first ones. They're the father of the rest of us, mother and father of all. And then I got to thinking, and you got Cain and Abel. Now, Cain's a loser, okay, but Abel was righteous and got murdered for it. And then Methuselah, now there's a cool one, oldest guy ever lived, 969 years, the uh, grandfather of Noah. <clears throat> then you got Noah. Then you got Noah's wife. You say, Noah's wife, what'd she do great? She, she stuck around with her husband for 100 years while he built a boat in the yard, okay? You try that with your wife, you will be flying solo, okay? She's amazing. Ham, Shem, and Japheth, okay? They're kids. You got Abram, Abraham, Sarah, 
shouldn't have children, old people, and God gives them a child. You got Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob and Leah and Rachel and Benjamin. You got Pharaoh, you got Potiphar, amazing, amazing people. And it all culminates the last 14 chapters with this amazing character named Joseph. And they have one thing in common. They all ended up just some remains. Okay? And you're here today. And one day, short of the return of Christ and the rapture of the church, you and I will end up just some remains. And they may be in a jar or they may be in a box, but that's how we end up. There's, life is 100% fatal, okay? There's no exceptions to the rule short of God rapturing someone. It is a stone-cold reality. And I'm saying this with a smile on my face because I know where I'm going when I leave here. And for the, listen, for the believer, for the Christian, this is as bad as it gets. For the one who stays lost and dies in their sin, this is as good as it gets. So if you're here today and you're a believer, okay, what are you waiting for? Why are you like the guy on the video who's standing by the escalator watching the world go by Meanwhile, there's a kingdom agenda that was launched from heaven to save the world. And he wants you in the game. And the question is, what are you waiting for? Why are you not in the game? So, so I'm wearing this suit. We're kind of having a funeral service. Let me tell you something I say at, at most funerals because I want people to be aware of it. If you go to the cemetery and... You look at grave markers often, or if you read obituaries, I hope you don't, but you may to see if, make sure you're not in there, okay? But if you, if you read obituaries or you read a grave marker, often this is what you'll see. You'll see a name, a couple of dates, okay? And you don't have anything to do with any of it. You were given your name by your parents or somebody. You, you didn't have anything to do with it unless you've since changed your name, okay? You, you didn't have anything to do with your name. The second thing is on that grave marker is the date of arrival, your birthday. You didn't have anything to do with that. Now, your mama probably wanted you to get here three months earlier, okay? But you didn't have anything to do with it. You might have kicked around, rolled around, thumped around, but you didn't have anything to do with it. And then also on there is your departure date, the day that you die, the day that you leave this world. You don't have anything to do with that. You say, well, I might if I commit suicide. No, not so much. God is a sovereign God. He'll botch a suicide effort in a heartbeat. It's not beyond him. Truly, it is. A, you are at God's disposal. You have nothing to do with the name. You have nothing to do with the arrival date. You have nothing to do with the departure date. But there's something else on there. It's a little dash in the middle. That little dash in the middle represents your story. That's your life. That's that's your timeline in between those dates. And you have everything to do with that. You get to let God write that story in between those two dates, no matter how short or how long that little line seems to be. God will write a story on that line. But you have to choose to let him. And so the question is simply, what are you waiting for? Because some people spend their whole life and they never embrace life at its fullest. They never say, God, this is my life. 
write on this life whatever story you want because you're a good, good father. You're perfect in all of your ways. So start writing. And when it gets rough for me, you're still going to be on your throne and you're still writing my story. And when it's good, I'll give you all the glory and I'll enjoy it to its fullest. Because one day this little line between two dates is over and I'm going to be with you forever. So I'm going to trust you. Because listen, that little, that little dash in the middle is about that. It's a little bit thing, okay? But eternity goes on and on and on. So give your life to God now so he can use you in the future. So, so what we do is we play with it. We just kind of play with the idea of life. Well, yeah, I got my box checked. I said a little prayer. I've been baptized crying out loud. I go to church on occasion, maybe give a little bit of money. Okay, I got it all worked out. Okay, but I'm never engaged in what God has put me here for. And so God wants you to be in the game. Or what we do is we say, well, I'm not going to do it today. I'll do it in the future. Sometime in the future, I think I might get saved. Sometime in the future, I might give my life fully to Christ. Some, sometime in the future, I might, might allow him to be Lord along with being my Savior. Or sometimes we say, not interested. Let me tell you a sobering story. Yesterday, uh, we played in a golf tournament, and it was for One Vision, uh, the, the missions organization organization that Rachel works for. And there was the, the ranger who kind of kept things going. I mean, he looked like he'd been hit by a golf ball right in the forehead. And so he came up and Joe just asked him, he said, Hey man, what happened to your head? <laughs> Joe will do that. You come in with a knot on your head, he'll ask you. Okay. And the guy said, I got cancer. That's just like that. He's about 70 years old, I guess. He said, I got cancer. He said, they're going to have to do this and some plastic surgery and all that. And he pulled his shirt up, showed us a colostomy. He said, yeah, I had something bust in there and they did that. And Joe said, and Joe will do this too. Joe said, well, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Because we'd like to pray for you. And stone cold, he said, no. He said, you don't? You know, I mean, and I'm with Joe. I'm like, you got a tumor on your head and a colostomy. He's sending you a signal, Okay. And, and he said, no, he said, I'm an, he said, I'm an atheist. And Joe said, do you care if we pray for you? I don't care if you believe there's somebody listening. That's how he said it, you know, just stone cold. He's dying just like the rest of us, but I think he's pretty close. He needs to have the truth in his soul. But what happened somewhere in his life, somewhere along his little dash in the middle, he had an encounter or an opportunity to receive Christ. And he said, nah not interested. Or he had some friends around him who were not believers and they said, you don't believe that. Do you? No, I don't believe it. And so they just turned it and turned it and turned it. And now he finds himself at 70 years old or whatever he is dying and he doesn't want anything to do with it. So I want you to know this morning, okay? We're here this morning because God is amazing and he has given us unbreakable promises and he has unshakable power, and he gives unmistakable peace about this thing called life. And I want you, you're looking at me, and I'm looking at you. I want you to know this. God loves you right where you are. He's never loved you less than he does right now, and he's never loved you more because he loves you infinitely all the time. But there's only one way that you can experience or consider the reality of death there's only one way that you can know where you're going when you die. 
And that is based on Jesus Christ and what you have done with him. And so I want you to know, church, if you're here for the first time or the thousandth time, God's desire is that you would be born again saved, that you would be forgiven of your sins in the sacrificial gift of Jesus on a cross over 2,000 years ago. And maybe you're here and, man, you've, you've played religion for a long time. You've claimed Jesus Christ as your own, and he's never claimed you because you've never received the grace gift. I'm, I'm asking you to no longer play that game. I'm asking you on this day, the Bible says this is your day of salvation. I'm asking you today to consider the reality that we're all dying. Consider the reality that Jesus came and he died on a cross. He lived a perfect life showing us how to live. He died on a cross showing us that death is a reality. But he rose again from the dead to show us that there is a resurrection life available for you and for me. I don't want anybody to leave today and not have that certainty in your soul. You say, okay, that's me. Because there's some in here lost. I know there is. You wouldn't raise your hand, but you know, deep in your soul, because the Holy Spirit convicts of truth, whether you're born again or you're not. And if you're not, you're saying, okay, what does that mean I have to do? Here's what it means. The Bible says if we confess Jesus with our mouth and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we can be saved. It means we say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've done things that are outside of your will. God, I don't know why, but I believe you love me. I believe you created me, and I believe you want to save me. I believe that Jesus came to this earth from heaven, and he was God with skin on. He was God in the flesh. I believe he came to this earth for a purpose, and that is to die on a cross to pay the sin debt of the world, and that includes me. I want what Jesus did in dying on a cross, shedding his blood. I want that gift applied to my life. God, I'm asking you to save a sinner like me and make me your own and adopt me into your forever family so that I can have a peace in knowing no matter what happens tomorrow, you're a good, good father, perfect in all of your ways. And the Bible says, He'll rush in immediately. He will seal you with the Holy Spirit of promise, and he will call you his very own. I did that when I was 10 years old. He has been saving me every moment of every day for the last 46 years. And a billion years from now, he'll still be saving me. It's the greatest thing that's ever happened. If you'll bow your heads and close your eyes. Maybe you're here today, and you're uncertain about your spiritual condition before the God who created you. If you're just uncertain and you want to know today, I want you to raise your hand. Just Nobody's looking around. Just raise your hand and say, that's me. I'm uncertain. I don't see a hand raised, so that, that's beautiful. That means we're all born again. It means we're, we've got it all worked out with God. That is amazingly great. I don't believe it, but I, it's amazing that we, 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 we are there. We were talking about this atheist, and we got to thinking, what would make somebody wake up in the morning 
and see the sun waiting on them. And go through their day and have beating, their beating heart and air to breathe and, and look around and see the amazing creation that God has given us, the animal kingdom, the stars at night, babies, the intricacies of how we're made with our eyes and our ears and our functions. What would make somebody not believe that that was given by a designer? When everything else we see, we know someone designed it and someone made it. The reason is because the Bible says that our hearts can be darkened, that our hearts can be shielded from truth. If you're here this morning, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would open your eyes and the Holy Spirit would enlighten you to your eternal condition and that you would be willing to respond and do what he tells you to do. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you for what Jesus has done for us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who convicts us and draws us and invites us into your family. God, I thank you for a church who believes that you still save, that believes that you still love, that believes that there's still hope for one more. God, I pray that you would bind the enemy from this building and from this place. And God, if there's one or 50 who need to be born again today, that you would grab their soul and squeeze it and reveal to them where they are with you and the reality that you still love them. We thank you that you've done all the work. We thank you that you're not finished working because we're still here. So God, as we close this service, help us be mindful as we remember that we are who we are because of what you've done on a cross. So as we take communion here in just a minute, God, we pray that we will be mindful, that we will think about and ponder the great gift that you gave when you gave your blood and your body upon that cross to save us. Thank you for choosing to love us. We pray it in Jesus' name.